Take your Bibles tonight, turn to Matthew chapter 26. You go ahead and stand with me. We'll get right to it. Won't waste our time tonight. We'll get right to the message this evening. Matthew chapter 26. We're going to begin our reading in verse number 36 and read to around the 45th verse. The title of the message tonight is Agony in the Garden. Verse number 36. Then cometh Jesus with them, the disciples, unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here, while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. Now, this was a purposeful and intentional. These were his closest earthly companions, and the Lord wanted these men near to him. And began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Now, this is intensely personal what the Lord is asking here. He's asking for their presence. He's asking for their participation. He's just asking for their physical proximity. The Lord wants these men near Him and to participate with Him, to bolster Him in this agony. Verse 39, And He went a little further and fell on His face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. And He came with His disciples, and He findeth them asleep. And He saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? And he says, Watch and pray that you enter not in temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again the second time, and he prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words which would imply that the cup would pass away from him. And then cometh he to his disciples, and saith unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And verse 46, Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Our Heavenly Father, I pray in the next few moments, Lord, as we already begin to consider Calvary. And, and Lord, the cost that was paid, the sacrifice that you made there, Lord, on our behalf and for our sins. Lord, I, I pray that the season wouldn't come and go. And Lord, we would somehow maybe again escape the depth of the treasure that you have granted us. Lord, maybe not fully understanding what you went through for our sakes. And so, Lord, I, I pray to the degree that we can grasp these realities. Lord, you'd help us. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for standing. On Sunday evenings, we are studying the final days of Jesus' life, um, specifically in mind and in view before His crucifixion. Last week, Pastor Daniel examined the Last Supper, and Jesus' willingness to condescend to such a level that He was willing to wash the disciples' feet, a task that each of the disciples could have performed in deference for the Lord, of course they're superior, but they passed on that opportunity, allowing the Lord 
to do that. This task was done by Jesus himself, the greatest of them all, which is, of course, undeniable. Jesus was a servant, though he was Lord. And all of us who would be like him must follow in his steps and be servants ourselves. Now, the next major part of the passion of Jesus and the passion of the term we use to that final days of Christ before the crucifixion, the final thing here we see was his betrayal as an extension of this Last Supper. In the midst of this Last Supper, this intimate time of extraordinary fellowship between the Lord and His disciples, Jesus dropped what we could call the proverbial bombshell. One of the twelve men gathered around Him, one of His most loyal followers, would betray Him to the religious establishment and the Roman authorities. If you can imagine, each of the twelve were incredulous. You know, they just, they, they're looking at themselves, they're looking around. This is Jesus' closest um, interconnected group. These were men who all had stated loyalty and love for Christ. These men had, for the most part, given the last three years, three and a half years of their life, and they had walked with Him. And yet Jesus says that this night, one of you will betray me. Again, they were incredulous, but the reality is, is that self-deception runs deep in all of us. The power to deceive ourselves is evident, and the heart truly is desperately wicked. And the truth is, none of us can fully know it in ourselves. We, we tend to think better of ourselves than we actually are. But in some quiet moments, and after some time, Judas quietly dismissed himself, and evidently, None of the other disciples thought anything about it. I suppose the man who keeps the purse should be counted on as trustworthy and loyal. But in this case, of course, we know he was not. Satan had deeply influenced Judas. And he was, and I say this deliberately, the first of those who would deny the Lord in the coming hours. Now, we don't know the motives for Judas' actions here in receiving the silver for this act of betraying Christ with a kiss in the Garden of Gethsemane. I suppose we could assume that maybe it was for the love of money. Uh, he was, after all, the treasure. He was a man who had some affection for the money. We know once upon a time he, he really asked Jesus about the waste of giving to the poor uh, or spending money on rather spending money on the Lord and in His worship rather than on the poor, which the text goes on to tell us that really what He wanted was just the money for Himself. You know, the, the love of money is a motive for a lot of people. First Timothy 6.10 says, the love of money is the root of all evil, which some, and perhaps Judas, coveting after, have erred from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Judas would not be the first man to do this. Well, it could be, if not for the love of money, because of disappointment. And we, we saw this kind of disappointment in all the disciples over the last year or so. Realizing Jesus was not going to lead a revolt against Rome militarily, politically, and that the millennial kingdom was not about to pursue or ensue. If you remember, up until the final days of Jesus' life, they were asking Him, Lord, will you now reestablish the kingdom? Their theology was skewed, and they just, they just couldn't get past the fact that the Messiah would come and not initially initiate the millennial kingdom. And they, they didn't have this idea of, 
of salvation being provided for our spiritual souls as a great necessity. I don't know, maybe this disillusionment grew. Perhaps Judas thought by betraying Christ he would force his hand. They would, he would make him demonstrate his deity and power. We don't know. What we do know is this. If the Bible says Satan entered into him having a vulnerable heart. Here's what I think. I believe when it became clear to Judas that Jesus' kind of kingdom led to a cross and not a throne, he was simply out on that. He was just out on that. I, I thought we were going to be able to sit your right hand and left hand. I thought you were going to come in and be the political uh, king. I, I thought you were going to uh, free us from, you know, Roman tyranny. When Judas figured out that being a Christian, a follower of Christ, involves service and sacrifice, uh, taking up our own cross and following after him rather than a cushy life on a throne, I just think he was out on that and he was going to get what he could get. And by the way, Judas was not alone in that mentality. In time, all the disciples, even Peter, would betray and deny the Lord for the fear of the cross. You know, there's a truth. Um, I think many, and when many, discover that Christianity leads them to places and to behaviors that they would rather not engage in, I think many walk away. I think many, in a way, forsake the Lord. But there is another kind of betrayal than that which we see in Judas. And I think it's a kind that many, and maybe unfortunately, all of us can identify with in kind and type, if not degree, that occurred in Gethsemane. From an upstairs room in Jerusalem, Filled with the smells of lamb and bitter herbs, Jesus and the remaining disciples arose. And they made their journey to an olive grove that was called the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane rests on the east side of the city of Jerusalem. It gently slopes upward, and if you are somewhere in the middle of the Garden of Gethsemane, you could look down on the eastern wall, the, the very gate that Jesus one day will walk through. It's, it's a beautiful place. It's a place of serenity. Uh, those of you who will be making the trip to Israel this next year will go there. We'll find our own little place in the garden, the current Garden of Gethsemane. And by the way, some of those trees there are over a thousand years old, perhaps some even perhaps date to the days of Christ. It's an incredible place to go and meditate, look over the city of Jerusalem as Jesus would have done. But my point is, it's a beautiful place. It was a peaceful place. Even now, to go there, it, it's a garden. It's peaceful. But it wasn't peaceful for Jesus this night. Yeah, we know Jesus knew all things. He was aware of what was awaiting him. John 18, 4 tells us, therefore, Jesus, knowing all things, knowing what would come upon him. So, Jesus was God. And being God, he was omniscient. That means all-knowing. He, he knew what awaited him. But though Jesus was omniscient and all-powerful, omnipotent, he was also man. 
And, and we can't forget that he was, he was like one of us. He knew our pain. He knew our hurts. He, he knew human vulnerability. He knew human frailty. And the Bible says, and, and it's important that we, we don't dismiss these words too quickly, that we don't think it's just, you know, we're so used to have a world filled with hyperbole where things are said for effect. In, in this case, that's not the case. These words are probably insufficient for the reality of what Jesus was experiencing. The human language as a vehicle can only carry ideas so far, and I'm not sure these words suffice in what Jesus was experiencing. The Bible tells us that he began to feel sorrow, an incredible sorrow, the absence of peace. He was troubled. He was, in fact, in agony, in a, in a distress of soul and heart, like no man, no human has ever experienced then up to that date or ever will in the future. If sorrow could cause death, this is what Jesus was feeling. A sorrow that no doubt would have killed any of us. The Bible described his emotional state as overwhelmed. And in his distress as a man, and, and I'm working my way to a point here, he felt a human inclination. And I, 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 that's probably not adequate. He felt we are made in the image of God and God exists in a triune fellowship. Um, there is no such thing as a, a really aloneness with God. And he created us to fellowship with him. And so in this moment, as God and human, he had this instinct, and the instinct was this, not to be alone in this time of ultimate crisis. Just as we might seek human companionship, uh, human attention, touch, maybe before a major surgery, or in a time of, of deep personal distress, maybe as we would approach death, we want to be surrounded by others. We want to be in physical proximity to other people, if, if not to speak, just to be near. We need the reassuring presence of others near us, touching us, praying for us. You know, solitary confinement. You know, we probably never experienced it in our lifetime, but we've heard about it. Solitary confinement is one of the worst tortures that can be presented upon the human condition. It's one of the worst punishments ever devised. It, it, it can destroy the human heart, the human mind, and the human soul. Jesus, in this moment, did not want solitary confinement. He sensed the isolation to come. You know, many times Jesus sought solace alone. But even those times when he got away to pray alone, he wasn't alone. He was with God. He was with someone, the ultimate someone. And he did not want to be alone on this night. In this moment, okay, it'd be like look me looking at you and supposing that you knew me and loved me and me saying to you, hey, I don't want to be alone. Um, I might single some of you most close to me and say, I, I want you to come with me. And I, I need your prayers in the coming hours. He had a singular request, come and be with me and pray with me. But in an act of betrayal, more subtle than the betrayal of Judas, on that night, 
Every single one of the disciples forsook him. The hours late, their bellies were probably full. And in a moment where they probably did not have maybe the full capacity to comprehend the moment, they all betrayed him by failing to really be with him. To stay awake for an hour and pray with him. The one whom they had followed for three years. They betrayed, they forgot, they, they left our Savior alone. And in this moment, Jesus did not feel any need to conceal nor hide his hurt over this betrayal. Jesus was in the midst of a struggle, an incomprehensible struggle. We know this, that in his prayer, the Son of God, our Savior, asked the Heavenly Father to take this cup away from him. Now, we just read right past that. We're so used to hearing that, but that should boggle our brains and shake us at our core. If it be possible, could this cup, what I'm about to experience and go through, could this pass for me? Now, okay, consider the implications of that request. No cup, no salvation. No cup, no church. No cup, no heaven. No cup, no hope. The fact that we're here tonight is testament that Jesus chose to take the cup that he prayed to be removed on that night three times. This wasn't a passing cursory thought. He asked this request so passionately and so fervently that a sweat, vessels breaking in his brow, the capillaries bursting, he sweated blood. I don't know that we can understand that level of intensity. Maybe in athletic contest, but not in agony. I don't believe his sorrow and his agony was over the impending physical suffering and torment he would experience. I, I don't think it was the fear of pain. Matter of fact, I know it wasn't because Jesus had told the disciples, don't fear those things. Matter of fact, let me quote to you what he said specifically. He said, don't fear pain, don't fear death, but there is something in this reality, in this universe that you should fear. Matthew 10, 28, fear not them which kill the body and are able to kill the soul, but rather fear him. Okay, stop. Fear him, the one Christ was about to face with our sins on him. Fear him, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, the place and the condition that Jesus Christ would experience for us. The writer of the book of Hebrews echoes a sentiment when he says this, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, and that was where Jesus was headed, into the hands of the living God, paying the price for our sins. 
the prospect of being at the receiving end of God's wrath was terrifying. It wasn't the torment. It wasn't the weight of the sins, perhaps. It was that he was about to face the Creator, not as Father, but as the vengeful God who hates sin. And where was the sin? It's on him. Great drops of sweat like blood. You get it? Can you imagine? Not the hell for you, and not just the hell for me, but the hell for all of us. The full force of the Creator's wrath poured out in a singular focus place on the body and the soul of Christ. The prospect of being at the receiving end of the horror of the wrath of God overwhelmed Jesus. It was enough to make Him ask, can this, can that cup be passed away from me? You know, um, it's just hard for, for my, main, my brain to wrap around that. That the sins of the whole world would be laid on Him and the wrath of God would fall upon Him. He would experience my hell, your hell. He would experience ultimate, a, a unique loneliness. And that word is so insufficient. Um, you know, um, darkness is the absence of light. It's not a thing in itself. But when light flees, darkness is left. The temperature we feel is not the presence of cold, it's the absence of heat. And you subtract it and you're left in a vacuum that would freeze us instantaneously. The horror of hell is not the flames. The horror of hell is the absence of the grace of God in any measure whatsoever. And if God would draw His grace to this planet in a moment, it would be consumed. It is by the mercies of God that we are not consumed every moment, every day. This is the cup that Jesus, like broken fellowship, the absence of God, the wrath of God, can that cup, not the pain, not the torment, but that ultimate isolation and loneliness, can that be passed for me? Jesus had only known the presence of God, the Father, the Holy Spirit from eternity past. Jesus was becoming literally God forsaken. Men had turned away from Christ. The disciples were turning away from Christ. And God the Father would turn His face from Christ. So that Jesus could become the propitiation the sacrifice, the offering, the lamb for our sins. And he said, can you take that away from me? Okay, let me add more perspective. Jesus in this moment was not powerless. Sometimes we can't grasp this. He wasn't. He wasn't forced and bent to this moment. If he had insisted upon his will, he had at his disposal no less than 12 legions of angels, we are told. 
he could have mustered the armies of heaven to fight a holy war on his behalf. He could have stopped all that was coming. It was his prayer in a way. But, unlike men, unlike the disciples, and if we're really honest, unlike us, he would not betray. Jesus Christ chose not to betray you, or betray me, or to betray his heavenly Father. He submitted to God's will for love's sake, the love for you, the love for me. He died, experienced our hell, felt the excruciating isolation of ultimate loneliness, the wrath of God. It was offered as a substitute for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be reconciled unto God. Now, this is so easily missed. Despite the betrayal, <laughs> He loved us and stayed true to us. He got up from that moment of prayer, resigned to the cross. He woke up his slumbering disciples, whom he still loved. And Jesus was led to the cross. And even upon the cross, in a sea of betrayers, Jesus said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's not an excuse, um, but half our lives we don't know what we're doing in the way that we live. But the moments of impact like this are supposed to be, Lord, help us understand it so we could be more loyal. Jesus forgives him. He goes and finds Peter, who would betray him three times. He found all the disciples. He reassured them his love. He said, okay, now go feed my sheep. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Well, then go feed my sheep. Simple contention of tonight's message is this. In the face of such willingness to suffer for you and I, in this ultimate expression of loyalty and good, should we not as His followers strive to be more loyal to Him? To not betray Him the way so many others have? You know, betrayal is a subtle thing. Sometimes it's super overt. It's the stab in the back. But sometimes it's subtle. It's the failure to identify as a Christian when we ought to. It's the failure to speak and remain silent when we shouldn't. We may never say the words of Peter, I never knew the man. But sometimes we live like it, and we act like it. I think Jesus' sacrifice merits more from us. We betray Jesus when we forfeit truth and honesty. We betray Jesus when we engage in sinful behavior and habits. We betray the Lord when we backbite gossip, when we fuss, when we fight, we don't strive for loyalty and harmony in the church, when our agenda rises above the Lord's, we betray Him. 
We betray the Lord when we refuse to be like him and live like him. I'm just going to finish with a simple encouragement. Should not you and I avoid in our life what Jesus died for? And shouldn't we become what he was resurrected for? I think we should. And Lord, help us. Let me ask you to stand tonight if you would.